0: Welcome to Season 1 of Master the Prophetic Audio Experience. We are on a discovery journey to activate, grow, and release the voice of God not just for us, but the world around us. We interview guests from all walks of life and backgrounds and how their experiences with God has advanced their path to mastering the prophetic. This season, we're asking guests how the voice of God has helped identify and navigate life through seasons of hardship and crisis and how to even steward a season of success. Come join us now during this conversation.
1: In the first three lessons, I've kind of just laid some foundation, very basic teaching on the prophetic. I know there are people that are watching that have had teaching on the prophetic, and you're waiting for me to go into some deeper areas of of prophets and how prophets function. And I just ask you to please be patient with me because so many people, this is the first time they're really hearing any uh, type of teaching on prophecy and the prophetic realm. And so I don't assume that everyone is on the same level but then again I don't assume that everyone is on the elementary level. I know there are people that may be on the elementary level, some may be on the intermediate level, uh, some may be on an advanced level, but I do need to just lay some basics, some foundational uh, teachings because I know that there are some who are watching this and maybe it's been taught to you that prophecy is not even for today, that there are no prophets, there is there is no prophecy and so i want to i want to make sure that everything we do and teach is is based on the word of god um i've often told people my testimony that i began to move in the prophetic around 1989 i was saved in 1979 i began 78 rather i began to preach in 1979 and even though i was a pentecostal charismatic had flowed and heard prophecies every now and then I really did not move into the prophetic strongly until 1989. So I've been operating in this about 25 years and I've seen how this has transformed our local church and transformed churches around the world. And one of the areas where the prophetic really impacts a church is in the area of worship. We don't want to limit prophecy to just giving someone a word. There's so many different areas that prophecy, prophets, prophetic ministry covers, intercession, prayer, Worship, preaching, teaching, personal prophecy, corporate prophecy, prophetic presbytery, ordination, uh, some even, even dancing can be prophetic. So there are so many different ways the prophetic can influence our church. And once the prophetic comes into a church, it will not only activate people to prophesy individually or corporately, give you the ability to impart, to activate, to ordain, to do prophetic presbytery, but also it has a great effect upon the worship. And I believe that worship inherently should be prophetic. And so I'm going to talk about prophecy and worship. And I want to begin by saying this. Prophecy is simply speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's inspired utterance. And you can either speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or you can sing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So prophecy uh, can be spoken or it can be sung. And I believe that it should be a part of every church as far as worship is concerned, when you study the development of prophecy and the prophetic in the in the Bible, uh, it begins really with the birth of Samuel. We know there are prophets before Samuel. Moses was a prophet. Abraham is called a prophet. Enoch is called a prophet. There were prophets before Samuel. But the Bible says when Samuel was born, this is found in First Samuel chapter three, that there was the word of the Lord was rare. In those days, there was no open vision, which means the, the word of God, the prophetic word, was very rare. And God began to, to teach this young man and speak to this young man at a young age, and this young man began to grow and he began to prophesy. Samuel. Samuel was the individual that was able to begin to develop prophetic schools in Israel, began to train emerging prophets, young prophets. He really began to develop and, what I say, raise the water level of the prophetic in Israel. The prophetic, uh, until that time, had never really been developed. The only ministry that was really operating at that time was the priesthood and the priestly ministry. And because of its corruption, God raised up the prophetic ministry to begin to challenge the corruption of Eli and his sons. One of the dangers I found in ministry is that if only one ministry is developed, and other ministries are underdeveloped, and all power rests in the hands of one ministry, whether it's the pastoral ministry, or the evangelistic ministry, or the apostolic ministry, then that power tends to corrupt people, which is why we need different anointings and different ministries to counter and balance each other. And the prophetic ministry is one of those ministries that will bring balance to the pastoral, to the apostolic, to the evangelistic, to the teaching, so that no one ministry can have all the power and then begin to corrupt uh, people and, and leaders. It, men have a problem uh, with power. When they have too much power and there's no one to balance or check them, they tend to become corrupt. And so Samuel began to develop the School of the Prophets and you'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no open vision. In other words, there was no prophetic activity in Israel. But then when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 10, you find that Samuel is told by God to ordain Saul to be the first king of Israel. And he tells Saul, after pouring the vial of oil on his head and anointing him to be the king of Israel, he tells him that when you leave me, you're going to meet a company of prophets coming down from the hill, and they're going to prophesy over you, and you're going to be turned into another man. Notice in 1 Samuel chapter number 10 and verse number 5. I want to read this verse because it tells us something about this company of prophets. It says, After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets, coming down from the high place with a saw tree, and a a tabret, and a pipe, and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and thou shalt be turned into another man. And we know that this happened when he met this company of prophets coming down. They began to prophesy uh, to him over him that Saul was turned into another man, and Saul began to prophesy. Now what I want to point out, and there there are several lessons you can draw from this story, but I don't want to stay in this chapter too long. I want to point out, notice that these prophets were musical prophets, that they were coming down from a hill, from the hill with a saw tree, a tablet, a pipe, and a harp before them. And it evidently, a part of the training of prophets in, in Samuel's school of prophets was the use of musical instruments. Uh, musical instruments was was one of the ways that prophets would, would be trained. And I, I know this for sure, that when, when there's anointed music in a church, when you have an anointed minstrel that can play anointed music, or, or what we're gonna show you today, even prophesy on the instruments, that it really releases a spirit of prophecy, and it gives, it gives a greater ability to flow prophetically. And we know, of course, that Elisha, uh, when he was asked to give a word about the king, by Jehoshaphat, he called for a minstrel. And when the minstrel began to play, the Scripture says that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he began to prophesy. We know that David, of course, a prophet, was also a, a musical prophet and David would play his harp and he would prophesy. So evidently music was an instrumental part of developing emerging prophets, young prophets. It was a part of the prophetic culture. Now we have great musicians in our churches all across America, great people that can play tremendous instruments, and unfortunately many of them have never really been activated in the prophetic. And as a result, even though they play great songs, they rehearse songs, They play great keyboards and drums and horns and and stringed instruments, piano. Uh, Sometimes the prophetic level is very, very low in a church. And so one of the things that David does, because David then takes what evidently David was influenced by Samuel. He was anointed by Samuel. Samuel, being a prophet, had the ability to train and raise up other prophets. And David was greatly influenced by Samuel. And so I think a part of David's prophetic training also came uh, through the hands of Samuel. We don't have everything recorded in Scripture, but we can surmise from Scripture that prophets, companies of prophets, they would gather together and worship, and they would begin to play instruments. And as they worship, they would begin to prophesy. David uh, brings the Ark of God uh, from uh, the house of Obed-Edom into Jerusalem. He sets up a tent, also known as the tabernacle. He sets the Ark of God under the tabernacle, Then he brings the Levites uh, to the tabernacle to praise and worship God 24 hours a day. And, of course, David also was the one that established Israel's worship. David, along with Gad and Nathan the prophet and Samuel, were the ones responsible for establishing uh, the the worship in Israel. David begins to uh, gather prophetic musicians, minstrels, He begins to gather worshipers, and and for 24 hours a day they would worship and they would prophesy. And so David is really the one that that gives us a pattern of what worship should be. David uh, is a a type of worship in the Bible. We often talk about worship being Davidic. What is Davidic worship? Now let me, we're going to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 25, and I'm going to show you from that those verses uh, what David established under that tent. But before I do so, I want to jump uh, to the New Testament because we know that when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well of Samaria, and they began to discuss worship, and she said, Our fathers taught us in this mountain we're to worship. But the Jews say in Jerusalem is a place of worship. And then Jesus tells her that the Jews have it right because salvation is of the Jews. Worship, True worship was in Zion, in Jerusalem. You could not just establish another place of worship outside of what God ordained. But then the Lord said, there's coming a day, the hour is coming, and now is, when when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so, and then he said, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Now we often hear about the Lord seeking the lost, and He does seek and say, He comes to seek and save that which is lost. One of the things that God also seeks is true worshipers, true worshipers. So one of the emphasis of Christ is that His redemption, his, his coming to provide salvation would be a door through which you can receive salvation and then of course His sending the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and baptizing you into the prophetic realm would then also give you the ability to become a true worshipper. So on the day of Pentecost the Bible says when they were gathered together the Spirit of God came, they began to speak in tongues, and it was fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days I pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So one of the reasons for being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we often heard, is for power. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And, and that's true. Power to, to live for God. Power to heal the sick. Power to work in this, walk in the supernatural. But one of the major reasons why we get baptized in the Holy Spirit and we speak in tongues, which again is a, is a form of inspired utterance in another tongue, which baptizes you into the spirit realm, into the prophetic realm. Remember in in, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul laid hands on the twelve to receive the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Sometimes Pentecostals have been guilty of just emphasizing speaking in tongues as a manifestation of being filled with the Spirit of God. But prophecy is also one of the manifestations of, of being filled with the Spirit of God. The ability to prophesy because you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and also this is also to baptize you into the realm of worship because worship should be prophetic. We should receive prophetic songs, we should sing new songs, we should be able to prophesy in song and often we're, in our churches we're used to rehearsing songs and singing songs that others have written and, and these songs can carry a great anointing and be a great blessing. There's nothing wrong with that but sometimes you can get so used to singing someone else's song or something someone else wrote or something uh, that you have rehearsed until you miss one of the most one of the most uh, exciting and, and, and fulfilling aspects of the prophetic which is worshiping God in the Spirit and singing the song of the Lord, singing spontaneous songs, singing new songs, singing prophetic songs. It is a powerful and when that happens it is a powerful release of God's presence in a congregation. Our churches have the privilege of knowing this now for several years and um, it's, it's, it, is, it has taken our worship to another level. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't have a bad service. But we've had some great, great services at Crusaders Church, not because we're any better than anyone else. It's just because we we got a revelation of the prophetic and opened up to it and made sure that every one of our singers was was trained in the prophetic. And all of our musicians also have been activated in the prophetic. And they can play prophetically on the instruments, new sounds, uh, new, new music, and then the singers can sing prophetically. And it's also something I love to do as a leader, as a pastor. I love to sing prophetically. I don't consider myself a great singer. As a matter of fact, you don't want to hear me when the anointing's not on me. But when, when the anointing comes on me, I can carry half a tune. And I love singing the song of the Lord. I believe that, that pastors, every pastor should be prophetic. Because if you're not prophetic, it's very difficult to really raise up a prophetic company. doesn't mean that every pastor has to be a prophet. But you can be a prophetic pastor. You can be a prophetic apostle. You can be a prophetic teacher. You can have that dimension in your ministry. You can learn how to sing prophetically. And so I've had the privilege of doing that in our church, and I do it almost every Sunday. When the anointing comes in, we worship, I'll sing the song of the Lord. I'll sing songs from the Lord. I'll sing songs, new songs to the Lord. And uh, it is just a powerful release of God's presence. And we've seen miracles, healings, breakthroughs, salvations. It is amazing what happens when this realm of worship, when we come into this realm of worship. Now, let's look at what David established in 1 Chronicles chapter 25. This is when David brought the ark uh, into Jerusalem, set it up under a tent, and established worship 24 hours a day. He, he, he chose three families, the families of Asaph, the family of Yedathan or Jedithin, and the family of Heman. And these families were fathers that had sons and daughters. Each father was a prophet, and their sons and daughters also prophesied, which means these were three prophetic families with singers and musicians, and a father that was prophetic, which also gives us another insight into the prophetic. Uh, the family should be prophetic. You can have a prophetic family. If you're a prophet or you're very prophetic, your sons and daughters should be able to be prophetic and prophesy. If the evangelist Philip had four daughters that prophesy in the book of Acts, so it's not unusual for a prophetic grace or gifting that's in the father or mother also to come upon the children. They'll get an impartation and they'll begin to flow prophetically. Let me read the verses. It says, "Moreover, David, First Chronicles chapter twenty-five, verse one. Moreover, David and the captains of the host separated to the service." the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps and psalteries and with cymbals, and the number of the workmen according to, the, to their service was. So notice now they were, they were chosen to prophesy with instruments, which means that instruments can be used to release the prophetic. You can actually prophesy on instruments. Sometimes when, when the musicians are playing, I can literally hear a song in what they're playing even though it's just music, I can hear a song and I often sing that song because they're prophesying with the instruments and um, every minstrel. uh, Let me me talk about minstrels because sometimes we've allowed minstrels to be carnal, sometimes not even spirit-filled in our churches. I've been to churches where the minstrels weren't even saved. They were just there playing, the musicians were playing just to get a check every week and their lifestyle was not clean and holy. They did not prophesy, they didn't, They were not consecrated. And if you, if you don't have minstrels that are consecrated holy, committed to worship, filled with the Spirit of God, baptized in the Holy Ghost, also know how to prophesy, that can flow prophetically, hear the song of the Lord, the sound of the Lord, and begin to play it, then your worship level would never be what God desired. You may have good singing, you may even have shouting and dancing, you may have great choirs, great harmony, great voices, great musicians, but it's the anointing that destroys the yoke, and if, if it if it doesn't have a level of anointing, because the minstrels are not consecrated, holy, living clean, committed to the prophetic, committed to worship, and can literally prophesy on the instruments, then you're you're really living below what God wants you to live as a church and as a as a prophetic people. Then He names the families in 1 Chronicles chapter 25 verse 2: the sons of Asaph, Zachar, Joseph. Nethaniah, Asarela, the sons of Asaph, under the hands of Asaph, which prophesied according to the order of the king. I want you to notice that. They prophesied according to the order of the king. The king, David, was the one that established it. I believe it's the responsibility of every pastor, every leader, every senior leader, whether you're a reverend, a pastor, a bishop, an apostle, whatever you call yourself, whether you're just brother, if you're the senior leader you should set or establish prophetic worship in your church and the way you do that is by by setting people that are prophetic in your worship It's not good enough just to be able to sing or play an instrument you need to be prophetic so one of the things we began to do in our church is we began to look for people who not only could sing um, but could also prophesy and we began to put them in our worship on our worship teams uh, among the, the musicians or the minstrels, and it says that the sons of Asaph prophesied according to the order of the king. The king represents the leader. He's the one that established and set this. Uh, if you don't establish it and set it, it, it won't happen usually in the church. Uh, verse number three, he mentions the sons of Jeduthun. Of Jeduthun, the sons of Jeduthun, Gedaliah, Zerai, Jashiah, Hashabiah, and Mattathiah, six under the hands of their father Jeduthun, who prophesied with a harp to give thanks and to praise the Lord. So notice they prophesied with instruments, the sons of, of Jedathan. And then the sons of Heman, of Heman, the sons of Heman, uh, Bukayah, Mataniah, Uzziah, Shabuel, and Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, uh, Eliathath, Ged- Gedauti, and Romantiazer, uh, Josh Bekasha. Malothi, Hothir, and Mahaziel. I very seldom get through that verse without stumbling. And these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer. Notice that Heman was the king's seer, or the king's prophet. So Heman was a prophet. We know about Gad being one of David's seers. We know about um, uh, Nathan being one of David's seers, but very few know about Heman. Heman was one of David's Seers or prophets Now in, in scripture Seers or, or prophets Were called seers In the Old Testament Heman sons Are mentioned in verse number 4 And it says it says he's a, He was a seer In the words of God To lift up the horn And God gave to Heman Fourteen sons and three daughters So here we see Three prophetic families uh, That were established And set in Israel's worship And those are the families Of, of Asaph the families of Jedathan and the family of Heman. Their sons and daughters prophesied and, and sung and, and played instruments prophetically. And so David established prophetic worship. And we know that David also was a prophet. He's called the Sweet Psalmist of Israel. We know that he prophesied often with the instruments. And all the songs in the Bible are really prophecies that were sung. They were actually birthed with music. And as they were sing and worship, they would begin to prophesy. So this is a realm... That many churches are beginning to step into, and more and more churches across the earth, around the world, are beginning to understand that worship inherently should be prophetic. And so, if you have a church full of baptized in the Holy Spirit people, believers, you have people with gifts, you have prophets, you have prophetic people, you have seers that are also musical and singing, then it should not be un- uh, it should not be uh, unordinary or extraordinary to see them flowing in worship. So, one of the things that we desire to do is to see the level of prophetic worship to be raised up. Now, when it comes to singing prophetically, uh, there are really two ways that you can do it. You can sing a prophetic song from the Lord to the people. It's, a, it's really the Lord singing through you, it's Christ in you singing his song to people, to the two people. Uh, we have prophets that not only prophesy individuals, but sing the song of the Lord to them. And there's something about a song that really goes deep into the heart and ministers to people. I've seen people break, weep, cry. I've seen God do a great work inside of people through a song because a song is something that really touches the heart. Music has the ability to go right into your spirit and a song has the ability to go deep into your heart. Uh, Also, you can sing prophetically to the Lord. You can sing a song of worship to the Lord. There are many different subjects you can sing about prophetically. Uh, You can sing about God's justice, mercy, love, compassion, power, authority, beauty, splendor, majesty, His holiness, uh, His righteousness, you know, His vengeance. I mean there's so much you can sing about. I don't believe any two services should ever be the same. Sometimes we get into a rut of singing certain songs and we can, we can sing a song so much until we sing we literally sing it to death. We, we sing the anointing out of it. Um, but what does God want to say to a congregation on a Sunday morning, or on a on a weekday when they're worshiping, what what does God want to? What does God uh, want worshipped? Uh, what or rather? What song does He want to be released? Are we sensitive enough to come to services and we can sing? Record. We can sing songs. We rehearse. Nothing wrong with that. But when the prophetic comes in, when you begin to praise God, you begin to worship. And when the prophetic comes in, that's when it's time to shift into the song of the Lord or the new song. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what does God want to say? Our our services should never be routine, boring, traditional, and the same thing all the time. God is too awesome. He's too creative. There's too too many things we can sing about, prophesy about, for us to ever have routine in our churches and in our services. Uh, We should always be open up to spot spontaneous songs, the song of the Lord. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us sing unto the Lord a new song. It never says sing an old song and sometimes an old song can be anointed but God never says sing an old song, he says sing a new song. Why? Because God is is always doing something new. What I love about the prophetic is that the prophetic is always releasing new things, new words, new dreams, new visions, it's always releasing new ministries. It, 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 it's, it's, it's always something new. The Lord says, Behold, I will do a new thing. The prophets are always aware of the new thing that God wants to do every year, every season in our lives. And what I love about the prophetic is that as long as I've been around the prophetic, I've always been moving in new things. I, I never, I never got in a rut in ministry. I always moved from, from glory to glory. It was always something new, something fresh. God was always teaching us something new, moving us into new nations, new realms, doing new things, raising up new ministries, preaching new, new revelations. It was always exciting and new because God is a God of new things, and prophets are able to release the new things. So we should always sing a new song. There are songs that had never been sung before, and no matter how many songs we've sung and written, there's always something new to sing a new melody, a new sound, a new song, because God is always doing something new, and you can never exhaust God. You can never exhaust the riches of His grace, His mercy, His spirit. There's always there's always something deeper. There's always something more uh, we can go into as the people of God. And so uh, I want to show you one more verse of Scripture. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. I looked at this uh, last week, and it shows us the effect of, that prophecy has upon unbelievers when they come into our assembly. Uh, it says in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14 that, that if we all prophesy, verse 24, 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty four, it says, but if if, we, if if all prophesy, that means if you have prophetic musicians, prophetic singers, prophets, I mean, you have a prophetic culture, you have a prophetic level in the church. He said, but if all prophesying there come in one that believeth not, this is an unbeliever, or one unlearned, this is someone who knows nothing about the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the things of the Spirit, he is convinced or convicted of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God. Notice the response of an unbeliever and an unlearned person when they come into an assembly and all are prophesying. It says he will worship God, he'll get convicted. The song of the Lord, the the prophetic words that come forth in our services bring conviction. They go straight into the heart. The word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the effect the word of the Lord has when we sing it, when we speak it, when we preach it, when we prophesy it, it goes straight into the heart of unbelievers, and it says they fall on and worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. It is amazing to me when the the services that we've been very prophetic in in our church and this is almost every Sunday in Crusaders, it's been phenomenal. Uh, We've seen people come to the altar for salvation every service. It's amazing the people that get convicted, they come into your church They may be expecting to hear something. Maybe they're used to a choir, and there's nothing wrong with choirs as long as it's anointed. Maybe they're used to certain gospel songs or selections. Nothing wrong with that. But when they come into contact with the prophetic and the song of the Lord and prophetic instruments and prophetic worship, the prophetic has a way of touching them in a realm that's much deeper than just coming enjoying a service. I don't want sinners to come to our churches, enjoy the service, and then go home the same. I want them to be convicted. I want them to fall down and worship God because again, prophecy and worship go together. So let me just recap. The development of the prophetic initial under the prophet Samuel evidently was done through music and musical instruments. They were musical prophets. They were raised up and one of the ways you can also develop the prophetic in the local church is through your worship activating your people to prophesy, we'll talk about activation in the future uh, program, what that means, how it's done, Um, but getting your people to flow prophetically, you have tremendous singers in every church, you have psalmists sitting in churches, that once they get baptized in the Holy Spirit and learn to flow prophetically, they don't just have to put on a track and sing someone's song. When they begin to learn how to flow prophetically and sing the song of the Lord, there'll be beautiful songs from heaven that'll be birthed out of them that will touch people in a deep way and your worship will go to another level. So I'm encouraged and I want to see more and more churches and, and leaders
0: and worship leaders and pastors come into the blessing of prophetic worship. We are on the final months of 2022. Don't go into another year without hearing the voice of God. Go to www.impactuniversity.com to download your free copy of our brand new Master the Prophetic devotional to help you hear the voice of God for your now, season, and your future. Feel free to text us your questions on the prophetic, deliverance, or any other subject at 773-923-0451. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.